Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, may we be hearts that have good soil this morning. I just heard from the parable of Christ, and there's warning in that, and there's invitation in that, that our hearts might be the kind of hearts that are receptive to your word, in which the Spirit of God can, can work to bring life and to bring fruit from that which is planted in our souls. So we look to you and seek that from you this morning, asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we are in our worship time, we're going to open the, the scriptures to Philippians chapter 1, and I would invite you to turn there as we bring our thoughts to, uh, to this text. Probably familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, one of the best-selling novels of all time uh, to, this, to this day. It was, it was made into an Academy Award-winning film series. Uh, I remember when the, when the final in the series finally came out, uh, Return of the King, I think we, well, we'd gotten the, the DVD series, I think, for our boys for Christmas. I remember on that Christmas... Two things. One, I don't know why we decided, you know, let's, let's be fancy this Christmas. And so I think we got a fancier roast that year. And it, like, took forever for the thing to, to cook. I mean, we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited. I forget how late it was on Christmas Day that we finally could eat this thing. And so while we were waiting and waiting and waiting, the boys had The Return of the King <laughs> on, on TV, so I'm popping in and out. That's about what I remember of that. But it's a, it, it's a story of an ancient ring that had, was thought to have been lost for centuries. And then this ring is found. And then through a strange twist of, of fate, this ring was given to a small hobbit named Frodo. And when Gandalf discovers that this ring is, in fact, the one ring of the dark Lord Sauron, Frodo offers to make an epic quest to the cracks of doom in order to destroy it. But he does not go alone as he makes this journey. He is joined by Gandalf the wizard, Legolas the elf, Gimli the dwarf, Aragorn and Boromir, who, are, who belong to the race of men, and then three hobbits, uh, friends of his named Mary, Pippin, and Samwise. This forms the fellowship of the ring. And they had to, as you track through the story, they had to journey through, through mountains, and they make their way through snow and deep darkness, and they find themselves in thick, dangerous forests, facing rivers and plains, and all along the way they're facing evil and danger. As you track through the story or through the movie, everywhere they go, you never know because there's going to be another danger around the next corner. Their quest to destroy the one ring was the only hope there was to end the Dark Lord's reign. And so in that story, you find hobbits and wizards and elves and dwarves and men who are 
They're very different characters. And in Tolkien's world, they they belong to various Middle-earth peoples, and they have differing interests and differing lifestyles. But what brought them together in this story was the shared mission to destroy the One Ring. So they formed a fellowship that overcame the darkness. The letter Paul wrote to the Philippians was about a fellowship made up of a cast of unlikely characters. But they were united in a partnership out to destroy the darkness. Philippians is what we are looking at this morning, and I invite you to look at chapter 1. Read starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I, <clears throat> I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. In these opening words, in his opening greeting, and his, this, these opening statements of his prayer and desire for them, what we see is, is a little picture of the church. And we learn even from this that the church is a partnership of loving people whose mission is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what a church is. A church is a partnership of loving people whose mission is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This theme of of partnership is strong in the book of Philippians. You see the language of it very much here, but, but throughout this letter to this church. For example, there in verse 5, he, he talks about this fellowship, this, this word fellowship, and it's a, it's a very familiar word to us, koinonia, if you've heard of that. It's, it's a word that, that signifies a very close relationship, having and holding things in common. It's the picture of, of participating with one another and being involved with and in the lives of each other. It's a theme flows through this book. What's interesting then is that Paul, Paul takes a very simple preposition. Okay, never thought these grammatical terms could be so important. He takes a very simple little preposition. Uh, it's a preposition that we would translate together with. That's how he might, it, it, it's a little preposition. And he attaches it to a bunch of words 
that, that describe, if you will, this partnership. For example, in verse 7, he talks about them being partakers with me. So he takes that word for fellowship, attaches this preposition to the beginning of it, and it's, so it's this fellowship together that we have. Over in chapter 2, in verse 22, he talks about them as having served with him. So he takes that little preposition and he attaches it to the word for slave. We have slaved together, side by side. In chapter 2, in verse 25, he, he uses this word fellow worker. So he takes that same preposition and he attaches it to a word for work. We have worked together. We have worked side by side. In verse 25, he, takes, he has that word fellow soldier. So again, he takes that little preposition, attaches it to the word soldier, and says, side by side, we've battled. We have fought for Christ. Over in chapter 4 and verse 3, there's a word there, translated companion. And so he takes that little preposition, and he attaches it to a word for yoke. And so we have been, we have been in this, this yoke together, laboring together, working together. And then in chapter 4 and verse 3, there is a, a, a phrase, labored with. And so he takes that little preposition and he attaches it to a word that we get our word for, for athletic competition from. It's the picture of struggling in the contest. He said, we've done that together. In chapter 4 and verse 3, once again, he refers to those who are his fellow workers. In chapter 4 and verse 14, he speaks of them as having shared in his distress. So he takes that preposition and he again attaches it to the word for fellowship. And then to, to wrap it all up in chapter 4 and verse 15, he talks about the fact that you have shared with me in giving. They've shared with me in giving. There's our word for fellowship again. So throughout this book, Throughout this book, as he, as he talks to these believers, he continues to use the language of fellowship and partnership together. See, Christians, we are not loners. We're not loners. We live in a culture, and understand this, we live in a culture that celebrates the individual. And we adopt that, and we bring it into our Christian faith, and we begin to live as if it's me, myself, and I all. It's, it's me and Jesus, and that's it. And that's just not the New Testament way. Christians are not loners. We, we fellowship. We are together. We are with. We are beside. Because we are in this together. We are in partnership. To use the biblical analogy of a battle, we are a battalion. We go forward together. To use Paul's analogy of athletics, we are a team. And a team works together for the objective of winning the contest. You can't overemphasize enough the New Testament importance of relationship, of fellowship in the Christian experience. But what is this fellowship? Well, the letter of Philippians actually is a case study of what fellowship looks and feels like. This letter to the Philippians is a case study of Christian partnership. So if you want to know what Christian fellowship is all about, if you want to know what this partnership is like, get into the book of Philippians and listen and look, look at what Paul said to them. And look at how Paul interacts with them. You will be observing, hearing, seeing, feeling fellowship. 
So let's look at this matter of partnership because it, it comes right out here in this passage that I just read uh, for you from chapter 1. What is this partnership? Well, first of all, it's a partnership of people. It might be begging the obvious, but let's start there. It's a partnership of people. Chapter 1, verse 1. And look, and look at how he describes the people that are a part of this partnership. First of all, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. You know what the word is there? Slaves. It's a hard word to hear. But that's the word. Bond servants, it's okay, but it sends, it, you know, it can, it can soften. The word there is slave. Paul, the apostle Paul, and Timothy, his, his companion who, who becomes an apostolic emissary, slaves of Jesus Christ. Slavery was widespread in the Roman Empire, so when Paul addresses these these, these Christians and attaches that title, they, they would have images that come to their mind. The slave was owned by his master. So a slave belonged to his master. He, he was property. He had no legal rights. And so therefore, the slave had one thing to do, and that was to submit to the will of his master and to devote his life to one thing. And that was doing the will of his master because the slave was absolutely dependent upon his master. His master was the one who provided for him. His master was the one who gave him his assignments and responsibilities. People came into slavery in the Roman Empire under all kinds of circumstances. Some would come in by conquest. Their, their, their cities had been overrun by the Roman Empire, and they would be brought into slavery, maybe as soldiers, maybe as household servants, and they especially liked to go to Greece and get their, their teachers, because they were really smart philosophers, and so they, they, would, they would conscript them, and they'd become their teachers, and so, and so they might come in to slavery by conquest. Some came into slavery as a result of criminal punishment. There are some who came into slavery because they were sold by their parents, there's, there's some who came into slavery because they couldn't make a living otherwise. They're destitute. So all kinds of ways that they came into slavery, but bottom line is they were owned by the master. That's the term Paul uses to describe he and Timothy, slaves. But who is their master? And this makes all the difference. Their master is Jesus Christ. In case that's bothersome to you, I would remind you, and we'll get there eventually over in chapter 2 and verse 7. That Paul said when Jesus Christ came into this world as one of us, he came as a slave. He came as a slave. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, came and lived his brief life here on this earth as a slave. A slave to who? A slave to his Father. He came to do one thing, and that was the will of his Father. And Jesus never wandered off that pathway. We know from elsewhere in Scripture in Paul's writings that this term slave is attached to every follower of Jesus Christ. 
everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who would, who would claim to have professed faith in Jesus Christ to be a saved person, to be a Christian, every single one is a slave. Well, how, how, how is that? Well, listen to what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He, he says, writing to those Christians, he says, you're not your own You've been bought with a price. Okay, he's, he's, he's writing that to Christians. And that truth applies to each of us. If you have professed faith in Christ, if you have received his gift of salvation, you are not your own. You have been purchased. It flies against everything instinctively that we feel because we're into our freedom. We're into our, mm, our autonomy that really when everything's said and done, I'm the one who decides for myself who I am and what I'll do. And God's word reminds us, no, no, it doesn't work that way. If you've confessed Christ as Savior, he owns you. And Paul went on uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, in verses 22 to 23, he says, you, you, you Christian, you, you are now, he says, a slave of Christ. And why? You were bought at a price. And what is that price? It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? So this analogy of slavery. So we have been purchased and we are owned. And you know, when God purchased us to own us, he didn't just cash in, you know, the gold that's in heaven. He sent his son to come and shed his blood. The price for your redemption was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because it is his shed blood that freed you from another slavery that owns you. And that was your slavery to sin. Everyone's owned. Either owned by sin, and you can put self in that category, or owned by Christ. Which would you rather have owning you? We've been bought with a price. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Every follower of Jesus is owned by Jesus. And because we belong to him, we submit to him. And we devote ourselves to doing his will. Most important thing in your life isn't what you want to do. It's what does God want you to do. And you seek him. I'll tell you what. God will help you really want to do what he wants you to do. He is not a harsh master. Doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you have tremendous influence or if you are invisible. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD or a GED. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of a church, a deacon serving in a church, a greeter at the door. We're all slaves of Jesus Christ. And as different as we are, we have a common identity because everyone in this partnership is a slave of Jesus. We talks there in verse 1 about this matter being slaves of Christ, but then he continues, he talks about the saints in Christ Jesus. The people in this partnership, saints in Christ Jesus. Who's that? Well, listen, he is not he is not referring to a special class of Christians who have died and have gone to heaven 
have been accepted into heaven and been rewarded with a complete salvation, who know divine joy and happiness, who are now seeing God face to face and from whom you and I can be helped in this life. That's not what he means by this term saint because it's very clear in the text that Paul is greeting people who are alive here on this earth. So, so these saints are people who are alive here on this earth, and particularly here, th- th- these are people who were living in the city of Philippi. He calls them saints. It's our word for, for holiness. He calls them people who are holy. It's a word that means dedicated to God. A saint is one who has been called to be a part of God's people. A saint is one who has been set apart for God. And that is a description that is applied to every true follower of Jesus Christ. As certain as it is that when you call upon Christ to be your Savior and he saves you, you become a slave of Jesus Christ, it is equally true that in that moment you become a saint in Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, I mean, the, the, the language is important to all the saints where in Christ Jesus. We are made holy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are made holy because we are united to him by trusting in him. And so his righteousness, absolute, divine, perfect righteousness becomes ours. We become holy in him. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus suffered outside the gate for what purpose? In order to sanctify, in order to make holy the people through his own blood. That's what he has done. Through faith in Christ, he has made us holy. He has made us saints. We can't do that to ourselves. You can't make yourself holy. Only Jesus can do that. And so he writes here to all of these saints in Christ Jesus. And when he does that, when he addresses them that way, he is not primarily putting that forward as a behavioral description. He is putting it before them as a positional description. This is what you are. You are holy. This kind of holiness is not something you achieve. It's not something that will be given to you at the end of the race so that you can get into heaven. It is something that is given to you. It is something that you are made the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. So here, these Christians, we have have diverse people from diverse moral and religious backgrounds, but because of Jesus Christ, they are all saints. It's not just dead people in heaven who are saints. It's not just Christians who have been saved a long time who are saints. It's not just Christians who know lots about the Bible. It's not just the nicest Christian you've ever met in your life. It's not, it's not just the exceptionally gifted Christian. It's not just the person who's won more souls to Jesus than you could imagine. Everyone in this partnership is a saint. It's important. You're thinking, I ain't no saint. Let me tell you about what I did this past week. If you're in Christ, 
Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So go live like what you are. You're a slave. You're a saint. Go live it. Saints in Christ Jesus. He, he goes on in, in that verse and he says, with the bishops and deacons. And really, what those two words tell us is that Paul is really, he is addressing what he has to say to a local church. The bishops and deacons, the overseers. Elsewhere in scripture, we would, we would understand that, that the bishop is also referred to as an elder, that the bishop is also referred to as a pastor. And that comes, uh, we see that in, in, in 1 Timothy 3 when all of a sudden, you know, a little bit more organization coming into the local church and you get to 1 Timothy 3 and, and, and Paul writes to Timothy, hey, here's some qualifications for the one who would serve as, a, as an elder overseer. Here's qualifications for someone who would serve in that capacity, in that role as, as a deacon. So the partnership in Philippians is local church oriented. So here are these saints with these, with these bishops, these overseers who are there to, to shepherd them. And, and with servants who are called to serve them as deacons. It's a, it's a calling by God. It's an appointment by the church. Let me just say, let me just say to our people, don't avoid this. Don't avoid this. Don't be afraid of this. If God would ever be precedent on your heart to say, hey, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if God would ever use me as an overseer, as a pastor, the very fact that you're wondering that, the very fact that you take time to think about that, may be an indication that God's beginning to stir your heart to do that. In fact, Paul says in First Timothy, it's a good desire. If God taps you on the shoulder to serve as a deacon, don't run from that. Don't run from that. If we're going to be the church God wants us to be, we can't run from responsibility. Leadership is responsibility. I love the spirit of service and volunteerism I see in our church. I'm just going to challenge you. There's a difference between being willing to serve and being, and being responsible. I'll help you. I just, don't, I just don't want responsibility. And we can bring that into care of the flock and serving as deacons. Is there responsibility to it? Yeah. Yeah, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes care, it takes love, it takes compassion, it takes prayer. That's what makes up a church. This partnership, it's a partnership of slaves and saints, and, and some of those slaves and saints <laughs> serve as overseers and, and servants in the church. It's how the partnership of a local church works. Don't run from the responsibility. By, by God's grace and in humility, in, and I say this here, in humility before him, it's a good thing to desire to serve in that capacity. And see what God brings your way. Partnership of the local church. It's God's design. This is, this is how he has designed for the advancement of his glory and his gospel. It's through the local church. See, when Paul went out on those amazing missionary journeys... And people came to faith in Jesus Christ. As you study his journeys, you, you realize that Paul did not just go out there to make converts to Christ. He preached the gospel. People got saved. And what did he do? He, he, he brought them and he organized them into local churches. Why? Because that's God's design. That, that's how we do the work. It's in partnership 
one with another. So people of the partnership, we got slaves, we got saints. And, and, then, and then these bishops and deacons shows us it's, it's church, local church. And of course, the central person in this partnership is Jesus Christ. Slaves of Christ. Saints in Christ. It's the grace and it's the peace that comes from Christ. He's the central character. So this partnership, it's a partnership of people. Second thing we see, it's, it's a partnership in the gospel. It is a partnership in the gospel. And we, that, that's made very clear in, in statements like there in, in verse 5, where, he, where he, he speaks of, of their fellowship in the gospel. And this is what Paul thanked the Lord for as you read down through there, these verses, as he thought, as he, these remembrances he had of them. And as he gave thanks to the Lord for them, what, what is it that stirred all of that? It was their fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. You see, this is what brought these slaves, saints, shepherds, and servants, and Savior all together. It was this fellowship in the gospel. And Paul says, I've been thankful from the first day until now. First day, go back to Acts 16 and read about the first day. And that fellowship had only grown and been strengthened. It was a fellowship in the gospel. You see, it was this gospel that was at work in them, which is why Paul says this in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How did this good work begin in them? The gospel was preached to them. They believed the gospel. The gospel continued to form and to shape them and to unite them and to send them. It was a gospel. Fellowship of the gospel. It's a partnership of the gospel. What does this look like? It looks like more than having coffee, though it can involve having coffee. It looks like more than eating together. It certainly can happen while we're eating together. It looks like more than hanging out together, though it certainly can happen as we hang out together. It looks like more than just being together in the same space. It can, it can happen there. It, it can involve all of those things. But those things don't equal fellowship. Because in any of those gatherings, we can talk about an endless host of things. We can talk about all kinds of things. We can share all kinds of things over coffee and a meal and hanging out and whatever it might be. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their, their fellowship was centered in the gospel. It's what, it's what brought them together. It's what brings us together. And so when we gather on this first day of the week, we sing the gospel, we read the gospel, we pray the gospel, we preach the gospel, we seek to encourage each other in the gospel when we come together, and we seek to spread the gospel wherever we go. If you want to experience this fellowship, this fellowship of the gospel, then give yourself to the gospel. Give yourself to the gospel in your home. Talk about it in your home. Mom and dad, have you shared the gospel? You, have you shared the gospel with your children? Have you walked them through this glorious message of what the gospel is? Have you ever done that in your home? 
Is that something you do? Do you you have any of those kinds of conversations at home, gospel conversations? Give yourself to the gospel in your church, in your neighborhood. See see people here in, in this fellowship and see people out there in your neighborhoods and where you're coming and going. See them through gospel eyes. Serve with others. And you can serve with others in ministering to children. What a privilege it is at that young age to begin to help them and introduce them to gospel truth. Get involved in, in, in serving and ministering to others and ministering to our youth of helping them come to understand the power of the gospel in their lives right now where they are and, and how that gospel can shape their future. Get involved in your adult Bible fellowship. If you're not a part of one, get into one. But, but get into it as more than just an attender. Don't just show up and wait for the next lesson to be delivered to you. Get involved in your, in your ABF as one who is praying, praying fervently for those who are in, the, who are in that fellowship. Be, be involved as an encourager of those who are in your fellowship. Be, be there as a helper. Do what you can to help that ABF experience the F part of the ABF, which is fellowship. It's not a fellowship just because you met. It's a fellowship based on what you do. If you want to experience this fellowship, do a short-term missions trip, like the the trip to Bonnie coming up in July. I love the enthusiasm of our teens. I'd love to see more adults doing that. Oh, that's all for, yeah, it's for young people. Nope. Nope. Go see what God is doing in another place in the world. Do mercy work if you want to experience the, this fellowship. Do mercy work. And you can do that in the, in the ministry of the Family Resource Center. You can do that through inner city ministries. You can do that, get, get involved with True Freedom Ministries. Find ways to be with people who do not know Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you could start a prayer group that prays for the spread of the gospel in our community and around the world. If you want to experience this fellowship of the gospel, allow brothers and sisters to bring gospel truth to you where you need it in your life. I remember back, I don't know, it's probably about 17 years ago now when we started our adult Bible fellowships. One of the questions that I, that I was pretty continuously asked was, on that third Sunday, what are we supposed to do? You know, so initially that was when we, we didn't do Sunday evening that, that week and just encourage our ABFs to get together off-site. What are we supposed to do, you know, with that time? And, you know, is it supposed to be a Bible study? And I said, no, I, I, don't think I, would, I don't think I'd make it a Bible study. Is it supposed to be a, a, a prayer meeting? I said, Maybe. And I guess what I came down to was this, as I encouraged our ABF leadership teams, I said, you know, make sure in that time you might eat together and, and enjoy being together, but have, some, have spiritual conversation together. That's how I put it. Have spiritual conversation together. And I guess on, on further reflection, I would say this. Here's what, here's what we should be doing in those times. We should be enjoying fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. That's what it's about. 
How does that happen? What well, can happen in our conversation? It can happen in time of prayer. It, it can happen as, as we pray for each other and the people we're trying to reach for Christ. It can happen as we rejoice in the opportunity there was to, to share the gospel with someone in that past week or in that past month. We, we can do that when we get honest with each other, and which fellowship really is a part of that, and to the degree that that's not a part of our fellowship, let me just say our fellowship is lacking. Here's where the gospel is not touching my life. Brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? You see, fellowship in a local church is more than friendship. We can be friends with one another and not experience Christian fellowship or fellowship in the gospel. This is a relationship created by and centered on the gospel, which is Christ's life, his perfect life, his substitutionary death for us sinners, his resurrection, and what all of that has accomplished for us in the past, what it is accomplishing for us right now in the present, what it will accomplish for us in the future, all of that is encompassed in the gospel. This is the substance of our partnership. And if that's not the core of our fellowship, we're missing it. When we gather The natural topic of conversation in this fellowship is the gospel. How it's changing me. How it's impacting my family. How I've I've been able to share it and encouraging others in the same. See, this fellowship is about that. Fellowship, Fellowship can't be faked. Fellowship requires authenticity. And here's where the gospel's touching my life. And here's where I need the gospel to touch my life. So to be a church advancing the gospel in our community, we must be a church that knows how to fellowship in this gospel. See, the Philippians' fellowship of the gospel, what did it do? It it advanced the gospel, which caused great rejoicing. Finally, this is a a partnership of love. See that in verses 7 and 8. A partnership of love. He, He talks there about this affection that he felt in his heart. This affection that he, that he felt in this heart. And, and why would Paul not feel this? This is a feeling word, okay? Affection, it's a feeling word. If you don't like touchy-feely, you're not going to like fellowship, okay? It, this is a feeling word. He felt things in his, in his innermost being when he thought about them. And why not? He had led some of these to faith in Jesus Christ, And so there in his heart, the very center of his thoughts and his feelings and his decision-making, there are those believers. It was an affection that he felt in his heart. It it was an affection that that came as a result of of, of their fellowship one with another. I mean, he he talks there in verse 7 of this grace that they shared. Well, what was the grace in which they shared? Well, they shared in his chains, they, they, they fellowshiped in, in the struggle for the gospel. They partnered with him in that. And, and, Paul, and Paul says later on in this chapter, he says, you know, for you know it's been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also for you to suffer for his sake. How did they fellowship? They fellowshiped in all of that. How did they partner with him? They prayed for him. They sent financial help to him. They sent one of their own members to go find him and bring that help and to be an encouragement to him. So no wonder, no wonder he opened up this letter with, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. 
partnership that we're talking about, it's not a cold business-only partnership. It's a partnership that nurtured love and affection one for another. But ultimately, where was it rooted? It's rooted in the affection of Christ there in verse 8. This is not some humanly manufactured love. It's supernatural. That's why we can love people that may be hard to love. It's why the things that divide and separate the world and put them at, at odds with each other, they don't have to do that for us because of this, super, this, this supernatural love. It's from Christ. It, it's his affection. This partnership is a three-way bond between you, your fellow believers, and Christ. It's Christ who works in you and Christ who works through you. Last week we talked about the relationship of grace and peace and joy. That that grace is is the undeserved kindness of God toward us. And and that undeserved kindness is what brings peace. It's what brings the good life that God has for us. And and that is the the soil out of which which true soul happiness comes. Well, I learned another thing yesterday down at the men's conference from our speaker, who, if you will, tied this concept of love into that when he defined love this way. Love, it's, it's, it's an overflowing of joy in God that compels me to selflessly give myself to others. <laughs> love comes out of joy. And you can say, well, doesn't joy come out of love? Well, yeah. Where does it all start? It all starts with grace which is Christ in you. See, a local church isn't a place where people just sit together for a worship service once a week. It just isn't. It's a fellowship of people who partner together for the spread of the gospel. And in doing so, experience true joy and love and growing affection because we're in this together. We're helping each other. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, are we partners? Are we partners? Let me ask you this, friend. Are you in partnership with Jesus Christ through faith in his finished work for you? Jesus invites you in. Father, help us, I pray, to know this fellowship, the joy of this fellowship, the love of this fellowship, the strength of this fellowship, the the authenticity of this fellowship fellowship that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's not just our loud proclamations that's going to advance the gospel. It's not just things that we might post, as good as they might be, to, to speak of the testimony of Christ through all of our social media. This gospel advances through the fellowship of believers, the partnership we have one with another in Jesus Christ. Deepen that in our church, we pray. May we not be afraid of where the gospel wants to take us. May we not be afraid of what the gospel wants to expose within us because the gospel is the answer. Through us together, 
our partnership, Lord. Might the gospel of Jesus Christ advance in this community and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we respond to the Lord in song, let's, let's worship him. Let's speak and sing from our hearts. If we can be of help to you, if you'd like someone to pray with you, please come. Let, let, let us pray with you. If, if you. if you know you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never, you've never called upon him to be your Savior, please come. Let someone talk with you and show you from God's word how you can accept that invitation of Christ to come to him. Let's respond as we sing.